As you guys get to know Tim and Karen, you will be uh, blessed by their capacity to love you and to minister along uh, beside you. Uh, well, I'd like to say once again, welcome uh, to Hope Covenant Church. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, I would like to especially say welcome to you. Uh, this is a good Sunday to be here if it's your first timer, because we're beginning a brand new seven-week series on the very important topic, and I think relevant topic, that is this, and it's a question. Christian or disciple? Are you a Christian or a disciple? So let's do a little word association. Now, first of all, I need to say that in the first service, even though there's a lot more people in the first service, they're a little bit slow. Okay? Now, you guys are not slow. You guys are wide awake. You've probably had two breakfasts plus three cookies on the way in, so you're ready to go. So I know that you're fired up and ready to go to this. So here we go. Word association. Um, does everyone in here, by raise of hand, do you know what an American is? Raise your hand if you know what an American is. Okay, that's pretty easy. Some of you are going, mm, I'm not sure. Okay, not a trick question, by the way, not a trick question. Okay, uh, do you know what an Arab is? If you know what an Arab is, raise your hand. Okay, right, okay. How about a Canadian? Do you know what a Canadian is? Okay, do you care? No, I shouldn't say that. No, that's not right. Okay. Uh, do you know what a comedian is? You know what a comedian? Okay, very good. How about this one? Um, do you know what a Christian is? Raise your hand if you know what a Christian is. Now, here's the, here's the fascinating thing. If I were to divide you in groups of 10 all through the congregation and ask you to tell each other what you think a Christian is, every one of those groups of 10 would probably have 10 different answers. Some of you might say, if you're not a Christ follower and you haven't been to church, you might say, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in America. I was born in the West. Others of you would say, well, I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Still others would say, well, I'm a Christian, that's why I go to church. Or I'm a Christian because I give money to the church. Or I'm a Christian because I behave in a certain way. Or I'm a Christian because I believe a certain way. But you would have all kinds of different answers. Now, here's the sad thing. If you were to go out into uh, the community and ask them, are you a Christian, you would get all kinds of different answers as well. So what is a Christian? Well, I grew up in a tradition. Uh, it was called a fundamental evangelical church. I grew up in a tradition where uh, the mark of being a Christian was that I said a prayer, right? I said a prayer of salvation. I asked Jesus into my heart, and I said the right words, and I, and I made the prayer. And I did. I made that prayer when I was 10 years old, and I've, uh, I've trusted Christ ever since then. So in my tradition, that was the mark of whether you're a Christian or not. Not whether or not you went to church, not whether or not you read the Bible, but did you pray the prayer? Now, some of you were raised in different traditions. Some of you were raised in uh, a, a tradition where if you were baptized as a baby, right, you were a Christian. A Catholic church, um, a Lutheran church. Some of you are raised in that tradition that if you were baptized as a baby, you were automatically a Christian. Others of you were raised in a tradition where if you took catechism or confirmation, that's what made you a Christian. Uh, others of you were raised in a tradition that just if you believed in God and you believed that Jesus existed, that that was enough to be a Christian. So let me tell you why uh, my brand of Christianity was far superior to yours, okay? So here's why mine was superior. 
because we went to church not only Sunday morning, <laughs> but we went to church Sunday night. And we, because some of you went to churches where the doors, the church was dark on Sunday night. And back in the 60s and 70s, <gasps> that was terrible, you know. Uh, now, all churches are dark on Sunday night now, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so, so we were far superior because we were church on Sunday night. We were church on prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And, and we had the answers. I mean, we used to sing the song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. We had it nailed. We knew exactly what we believed, and all the rest of you liberal people out there, you really weren't as strong in your faith as we were. We had the brand of Christianity that said, we know what's right. Now, before you laugh at me, whatever brand of Christianity you were raised with, you believed the same thing. You believed you were right, right? Because you were told you were right. You believed that, yeah, if I was baptized as a baby, I'm in. Or you believe that if you said a prayer, you're in. And we all had this different sense that I was right. I knew exactly what I believed. Now, some of you uh, are uh, believed that uh, you know of people, or maybe you're one of those, that says, well, there was a time when I was a Christian. I went to camp when I was 10 years old. I prayed the prayer, and I was a Christian, but now I'm grown up. I'm more sophisticated, I went to college, and, and I'm smarter now, and so I'm no longer a Christian. I, and others of you would say, well, you can't be a was, right? Because we were born, uh, once saved, always saved, right? Can't be a was, you know? And then the, 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 the ones who said they're a was say, well, I am a was, uh, because there are certain sins, if you do certain sins, that makes you a was, right? And so you have all of these different traditions. Everybody's going, well, you know, what do I do? So when I was 16 years old, I just got my driver's license, and I was going out on my very first date alone. Now, I, I, I went on a couple of dates when I was younger, but it was always with my twin sisters and their dates. That was a disaster, you know, triple date with your twin sisters and their boyfriends. So I did that once, and I never did that again. So I was going out on my first date, and uh, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, my dad had given me the talk. I was terrified of girls, but I, you know, something inside of me, it was called hormones, told me that I needed to do this. And so I went out on a date. And we had a nice time. At the end of the date, uh, this girl was a little more enthusiastic than I expected. And uh, some things happened. Now, don't go get, think of something. I didn't do that. But we did some things with, that I shouldn't have done, I felt, as a young Christian. And I remember after that, on the way home, driving like 10 miles under the speed limit. Because I knew if I got in an accident, the earth would open up and hell would swallow me up. I would be a was for sure. I mean, I was on my way to being a was. I got home and I prayed. I got on my knees and I said, God, I am so sorry. And I said, I'm so back. I'm so back. I'll always be back. I'll never do that again. And, I, you know, and so you make all these promises. That's the tradition that I was raised in. How about you? For some people... Christianity is about what you believe. You have to have a certain set of doctrines or theology, a checklist, believe this, resurrection, virgin birth. You have a certain set of, okay, okay I believe, all, therefore I'm a Christian. I believe the checklist. Others of you believe that it's not what you believe, it's how you behave. Are you a good girl? Are you a good boy? Do you do the right things? 
You know, how many times have you talked to a person that, you know, they define Christianity by being good, right? And you say, are, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm a good person. How many times have you heard that? I'm a good person. And they define Christianity as being a good person. Now, those are all groups that maybe we grew up in, different traditions that we grew up in. But then there's a whole nother six billion people on the planet. <laughs> you know, uh, Christians are about anywhere from 750 billion to a trill, uh, or 750 million to a billion Christians on the planet and another six billion that are not Christians. And, and, and some of the people that you know that aren't Christians are kind of mad at Christians, right? Right? Or they're mad at Christianity. And the reason they're mad is this. Listen, you guys can't even get along. Why should I be a Christ follower? Look, look at the way you argue among yourselves. Look at the way you treat each other. Or they'd say, are you kidding me? Be a Christian? I mean, most of the wars <laughs> were started because of Christianity. And they have all these reasons why you shouldn't be. And so there's a lot of people out there, maybe even some people in here today, but there's a lot of people out in the world today that would say this. Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they are the only ones going to heaven and they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Okay, no, you're not supposed to say amen to that. But if that's not you, you know somebody who believes that, don't you? You know somebody who believes that. You know somebody says, are you kidding me? Look at what Christians have done. Look what they're doing. Why should we ever want to be a Christian? So here's the good news and the bad news for today's message. The good news is that none of what we've talked about so far is described in the Bible as Christianity. Here's the bad news. Everything you thought about being a Christian is probably wrong. Now, some of you would say, oh, Dwayne, you're being heretical, you know. You're saying that we don't know what a Christian is. No, what I'm saying is that you probably have some misconceptions about Christianity. And by the way, some of the things I'm going to say today, I've already said, are pretty controversial. And you're going to say, yeah, now that he's on his way out, he's going to blast us with all kinds of heresy and bad doctrine. No, I'm not going to do that. This last series of messages comes from deep in my soul. If you want to know who I am and what I believe, you need to hear these last seven sermons that I'm going to be preaching. So, uh, and besides this, uh, if you think I'm saying something that's wrong or incorrect, here, here's my challenge. Check it out for yourself. Don't you ever believe me just because I'm standing up here. You believe me if it matches with God's Word, okay? So, here's my challenge. If you don't believe what I'm saying, if you think I'm saying it wrong, go home, pick up your Bible. For some of you, blow the dust off your Bible, and then start looking and examining. Say, okay, now I, wanna, I wonder about this thing, Christian and disciple and, and all of that. So that's my challenge for you because uh, I see anything that gets you to open your Bibles. By the way, I want to say to you right at this point in the service, what? Read, read your Bibles. It's an amazing book. I, anything I can get you to do to pick up your Bible and read it, I see as a win. Okay, that's a win for me. It's a win for you. win for our church. A win for the kingdom. So here's what we're going to discover today. The word Christian and all of its derivatives, Christianity, uh, Christendom, Christian, Christian and all its derivatives appears in Scripture three times. Some of you are going, huh? I mean, I thought the word Christian would be all over the pages of the New Testament. No, the word Christian appears in the Bible 
three times. And all three times, it's somebody else talking about Christ's followers. It's like a derogatory term. It's like all those Christians, you know. It's like some of you do with ethnic groups and like that. say, all those whatevers, you know. And, and so, so that's the way the word Christian was used. It was used, a, a derogatory term about those from the outside of Christianity looking in and saying, oh, they're, 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 they're Christians. Now, in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, uh, the word Christian is used three times, and that's the only three times in the Bible. And uh, let me give you kind of a, a background of what was happening. So, uh, Acts starts after Jesus is uh, ascended into heaven, and uh, he starts, Pentecost happens, and, and the church begins. And, but the church doesn't begin until we read about it in the church of Antioch. Okay, Antioch was modern-day Turkey, and um, Antioch was um, Greek. Most of the people there were Greek-speaking, but very Roman-minded, okay? They were all part of the Roman Empire. So they were Greek-speaking, Roman-minded, and this gospel that started in Jerusalem, this gospel spread throughout Asia Minor like wildfire in the first 30 years. It was just unbelievably, it couldn't be contained. So this gospel was just going like crazy. And it got out to this remote place in Turkey called Antioch. And, and the number of people that were Christ followers there, the number of people that were saying yes to Jesus was enormous. And they didn't have anybody out there in Antioch that was kind of controlled. Because remember, they didn't have a Bible in those days where they could say, are you following the Bible? All they had was the Old Testament, a few scraps of Paul's letters and a, a few scraps of the Gospels. They didn't have the whole Bible like we do. And so they needed to somehow control that thing that was happening in Antioch. And so um, uh, the, the bigwigs in Jerusalem... James, Peter, the dudes that were, you know, the big disciple guys. James was the head of the church at Jerusalem. And by the way, James was the brother of Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have a conversation with him? Tell me what Jesus was like when he was 14, you know. So anyway, uh, so these big ways, they said, you know, we better find out what's going on in Antioch. So they sent Barnabas, Barnabas, one of the disciples, go and find out. Go pick up Paul. Actually, his name was still Saul then. It hadn't been changed to Paul. Go pick up Paul. And where was he supposed to pick up Paul? Where was Paul from? Tarsus, okay? The front row always knows the answers. Just like, in, just like in grade school, the front row always knew the answers. So Tarsus, so Barnabas goes to Tarsus, picks up Paul. They go to Antioch. And uh, let's read what happened there in uh, chapter 11 of Acts, verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. Honey, could you bring me some water? Uh, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, thank you, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught, what does it say? Great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. First time the name was used. Chapter 11 of the book of Acts. And who was called, did they call themselves Christians? Doesn't say that. That's not what it says at all. It says they were first called, who were they called? They were called Christians by the other people in Antioch, the people outside the church. Oh, those people, they gather, they do this weird thing called the, bloody and, uh, the blood and body of Jesus, and it's kind of cannibalism, and it's weird, and it's, they call it communion, and they, they worship together. They treat women with respect. Why would you do that? And they do all these weird things. You know? And so, uh, so, so they were first called Christians at Antioch. First time. 
So this was not calling themselves Christians. They didn't look around and say, hey, how are you guys doing? We're all Christians here. No, they didn't say that at all. But people from outside the church looked in and said, okay, those people are followers of that guy. What was his name? I know, Crestus. Crestus, Jesus Christ. So they got the name Christians. They're followers of Crestus uh, Christians. So now we know that this is true, that people outside the church called them Christians uh, because of not only the Bible, but because of history. So in 64 AD, you know what happened. I mean, that rings a bell. Ah, Nero, right? Nero, you know, Rome burned, burned away. And after Rome burned and Nero was responsible, he said, now who am I going to blame for this? And he says, I've got an idea. Why don't we blame that weird sect that people follow Crestus, okay? And they were called Christians. So why don't we blame them? So Tacitus is a Roman historian, not a Christian, not a Jew, a Roman historian who was writing about that incident about Nero. This is what he says. This was written July 64 AD by the Roman historian Tacitus. And here's the quote. Consequently, to get rid of the report, the report that Nero was responsible to burn Rome, right? Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures. Isn't that great? I love the way Tacitus writes. Uh, fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. By who? Called Christians by the populace. They didn't call themselves Christians. The populace called them Christians. Christus from whom name that had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty. What was that? The cross, okay, crucifixion. Suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and had a, this is great, and had a most mischievous superstition. What was that mischievous superstition? The resurrection. Remember how the Jews never going, no, it, it didn't really happen. Uh, somebody stole his body. And how all the, of course, absolute proof, scientific proof, Jesus did rise from the dead. We can, and if you ever want to hear that, listen to last Easter's sermon online. Absolute proof that it happened. But they were still spreading the rumor, it didn't really happen, this is fake. But what they couldn't control is the way that the church grew just enormously. I mean, Peter first to pre preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people came to Christ. And this kind of explosion was happening. Well, that doesn't happen if it's based on a lie. <laughs> all of the disciples, except one, John, all the disciples were martyred for their faith. You're not martyred for a lie, right? Well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry to preach Easter again. Okay, we're going to go back. So Ta uh, Tacitus says, um, so this most mischievous superstition, the resurrection, Thus checked for the moment, we kind of have it under control for a moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Now this, this Christianity thing, this Christ thing, this Christus thing is spreading all over, even in Rome, Ugh, he said, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. So they started arresting these Christians, Okay. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted. Okay, let's get rid of them all. Let's throw them all in jail. Let's martyr them, do whatever. Not so much of the crime of firing the city. It's not so much that they were accused of burning down Rome, like Nero wanted, as of hatred against mankind. That's what they were accused of. Tacitus, July 64 AD. Those Christians. Ugh, they're so disgusting. You know, those, those Christians. Now, so what were 
the early followers of Christ called? They were called something much more terrifying, something much more convicting than the word Christian. Because as we said earlier, Christian can mean anything, right? You have friends, you have people that think Christians mean you were born in the West. Or Christian means you believe in God. Or Christian means that you go to a Protestant church. I mean, they have all kinds of things. But it can mean anything, really, you want to, because it's not defined in the Bible. So the reason the word Christian is so misunderstood is because of this. It can mean anything. But this word that the New Testament used to describe Christ followers um, is very, very specific. And the term is used over and over and over again in the Gospels of the New Testament, and it's always consistent with the word that's used. To describe these people, this Jesus movement, people that are followers of Jesus Christ, was this terrifying term called disciple. Disciple. Now, the reason it's so disturbing, and by the end of the message, I hope you'll be disturbed by its meaning as well, the reason it's so it's disturbing is because we know exactly what it means. <laughs> There's no ambiguity. There's no saying, well, a disciple is just somebody who kind of believes in God. Uh, a disciple is somebody who goes to church. A disciple is somebody who, who uh, thinks Jesus was alive. Okay, Because none of that defines a disciple. The reason this term is so difficult and so specific and so terrifying is that we know exactly what it means. Behind the word Christian... Wars have been started. Behind the word Christian, you can be a Republican or a Democrat and you can criticize the other. If you're a Christian, you can burn abortion clinics. You can be bullhorn guy. You can do any of these things in the name of Christian because a lot of people have. But if you lock into the word disciple and you look into your New Testament and you see what the word disciple means, here will be your response. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> Is that what I signed up for? I mean, I thought I could just be a Christian. <laughs> Hang around church once in a while, believe in God, sing a song once in a while, throw 20 bucks in the offering plate. I mean, I thought I could just be a Christian, but a disciple? Man, that's, when I read what it says about in the Bible, I, I, I just can't believe what that is. So what does it mean? The word disciple, the Greek word, is methotos. Methotos. It means learner, pupil, apprentice, protege, follower. A very specific definition. So here's what a disciple would ask. A disciple would say, okay, Jesus, I am going to be your protege. I'm going to be your follower. I'm going to be your apprentice. So Jesus, I have a, a situation that I'm trying to deal with in my family. And it's pretty sticky and it's kind of messy. Um, what would you do? Or you would say, uh, now Jesus, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways of dealing with my uh, finances. Because I, 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 I want to do finances the right way. And I'm, I'm your follower, and I want to, I want to do what you do. So, 
Jesus, when it comes to my finances, um, how, 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 should I, how, how should I deal with those? Or you might say, uh, you know, I've got a real problem. Maybe it's a teenager saying, you know, I've, I've been bullied at school. Or, or maybe it's you say, hey, my boss is being really unkind to me. Or something even worse. Um, uh, someone has attacked the United States. Someone is killing uh, Americans. Uh, someone's doing awful things. So, so Jesus, in these kind of complex relationships where there's somebody that's hurting me, somebody that's against me, um, what should I do? How should I act? How should I behave? See, when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're asking completely different questions. Well, how do I live my life? How do I manage relationships? How do I, how do I deal with my, my spouse that, that I just feel like I've fallen out of love with them? What, what should I do? Now, in other words, in every circumstance of life, every circumstance of life, um, you're asking the one whom you are following, what should I do? Now, before Jesus even answers the questions, and he answers them through his word and by his spirit, before he even answers the questions, a true disciple would say this. Now, I'm asking the question, how should I deal with my enemies and what, how, how should I approach them? How should I talk to them? How should I deal with my enemies? And before Jesus even gives me the answer, here's what a disciple says. Listen, my answer to whatever you're going to say to me, Jesus, is this. Yes. Yes. I'll do it. I'm signing up. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how difficult it is. The answer is yes. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm your disciple. Whatever you say I should do to my enemies, whatever you say I should do with my money, whatever you say I should do with my wife, whatever you say I should do with my relationships, whatever you say, the answer, even before you give me an answer to the question, is yes, I will do it. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's a completely different animal than being a Christian. So here's my question. Are you a disciple? Let's look at what the scripture teaches us. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, disciples, Acts 14, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. They didn't win a large number of Christians. They didn't say, hey, would you join our troop? And all you have to do is say, I believe in God, okay? Come along with us. You're in. You're in the club, okay? No, they, they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned, listen, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now, that's a lot harder than being a Christian that's not easily defined. And then in Acts 9.36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, throughout the New Testament, there's many references to women who are disciples. Now, here's what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, oh, by the way, there's a woman and she's a disciplette. She's kind of a small disciple because she's a girl, you know. She's a woman, you know, that's not as good as a man, right? She's kind of a disciplette. She's kind of a sub-disciple. She still loves you, Jesus. But no, no, none of that was said. See, th that's one of the... And if you're part of our church, or if you're not, you, you'll need to hear this. Um, this is one of the earmarks of what we believe as a church and as a denomination, that God has gifted and, and ordained and blessed women to do ministry in the same way he's done men. 
women are equal to men. The Bible's clear on that. And other religions that are teachings that tell you not, you need to re-look at your Bible. That is, there's no such thing as, well, here's a disciple, really cool guy, and here's a disciple at, you know, it's kind of an inferior, no, no, no. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what disciples of Jesus Christ do. Before you even answer the question, Jesus, my answer is yes. I'm in. You can count on me. I will do it. I'll do everything in my power to do what you're asking me to do. That is so difficult. That is so hard. So the next time you want to call yourself a disciple, be sure and stop and pause and think, now what am I doing here? Before you even ask the question and before Jesus answers it in the word, you need to be able to say, sign me up. Next Sunday, we're having a baptism service. And we're going to have people that are being baptized right up here in both services. And when they do, when they come out of that water, here's what they're saying. My answer is yes. To what? Whatever Jesus asks. And he's asks, asked a lot in the scriptures, right? Whatever he asks. Because what? I'm not a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You, you, some of you wonder probably in the last few years, uh, if you've been here just the last few years, why I almost never say Christian. Sometimes I slip. I almost always say Christ follower, right? You've heard me say that a million times. Christ follower. Disciple, because that's a whole different level of expectation and commitment than being a Christian. Now, what brings us to this terrifying and disturbing question? And it's this. Am I a disciple? And only you can answer that. Am I a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just someone who says, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus? Are you ready to say yes, regardless of the question, regardless of the answer? Sign me up. I'm a follower of Jesus. So to close in on this subject, I want to take you into a moment in the time where Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he gives them their marching orders. Uh, so uh, it's called the Last Supper. Jesus gathers the disciples around him, and he says, um, boys, um, Come in here, nice and close. No, nope, closer, come on. You need to hear this. I want you to be very clear about what I'm about ready to tell you. Because I'm going to give you your marching orders. Because after this, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then I'm going to go to heaven, and you're going to be doing this on your own. So boys, you need to hear this. Come in closely. You need to hear this. You need to hear every word I'm going to say right now. And so... They kind of leaned in, man, what's he going to say? I mean, we already have the Ten Commandments. What more do you need, right? We already have the Midrash. We have thousands of laws. We can't even keep all of those. And he's going to give us something else to do? Man, what's he going to say? What's, what's new under the sun, Solomon would have said. How, what are we supposed to do? I mean, how are we supposed to be this disciple? How are we supposed to be this replica of Jesus Christ when he leaves? And so he got him in nice and close. And, of course, Peter, you know, is always the one that has a question. Uh, excuse me, uh, I, I've got a question. And Peter would say something like this. Now, you said something about you're going away. Um, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're not understanding what I'm telling you. He said, is Philip going with you? Because if Philip's going with you, I want to go with you. you know? So that, that was Peter, you know, always wanting to be, you know, he's the guy that cut off the ear and all that. So, and Jesus had to say to him, Peter, listen, in about three hours, you're going to be intimidated by a middle school girl and say, I don't know Jesus, right? So just shut up, okay? You need to just listen to what I have to say. So all the disciples are gathered around, and this is what Jesus says to them in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. 
as I, Jesus said, and he pointed to him, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my, what? Disciples, if you love one another. Jesus leans in, the disciples lean in, and he says, boys, listen, if there's only one thing you can remember, if there's only one thing that you can ever remember, it's this. If you love each other as I have loved you, you'll change the world. If you deliver this gospel message of Christ's love for all the world, that Christ died on the cross for your sins, if you deliver that message with love and with tenderness, you'll change the world. And guess what happened? They changed the world for 300 years until religion and politics got mixed up together. History tells us they changed the world. It was unbelievable. Because he was not calling them to be Christians. Because you can define Christian any way you can possibly imagine. He was calling them to be disciples. He was calling them, okay, boys, are you ready to sacrifice your lives? Raise your hands. <laughs> boys, are you ready to uh, be cursed by your families and thrown away by your fa- uh, Raise your hand. Boys, are, and before Jesus could even say those questions, they said, yes, 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 I will do anything because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he looks at the disciples. He said, Matthew, tax collector. Hey, boys, you remember when I first met Matthew? Uh, He was a scoundrel, a tax collector, a traitor. Do you remember how I went to his house? And remember, all of you can remember this too. When you're you're a little boy, a little girl, your mom and dad told you, don't go to that house. (laughs) Don't go to that house. Bad things happen in that house. That's what they told him about Matthew. But what Jesus did is he went to Matthew's house and he loved him until Matthew said, Yes. He didn't scold him. Oh, how could you be a tax collector? He didn't cajole him. He loved him until Matthew said, I'm going to give up everything and follow Jesus. Nathaniel, how about you? You're the one that said nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Remember how I loved you and how that I loved you until your life was changed and you were transformed and you said yes and you said I'll be a disciple of yours. I will follow you. I will say yes to anything you ask me to do. Do you remember that? I remember that, Jesus. And I'm making that commitment new again right now. Peter? (laughs) No, I didn't forget you. Peter, again, in a few hours you're going to be intimidated by a a middle school girl and you're going to deny Christ me three times. But Peter, do you know what? I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to grace you until your life is transformed, until when I leave, you're going to have the power of the Spirit so mightily upon your life that when you preach, 3,000 people will come to Christ. They will know you are my disciples by how you love each other. Now, I know that All of you at times have called yourself Christian. So have I many, many times. But the real question is, are you a disciple? Peter, I know that you want, you said you would die for me. But I'm asking you something even harder. Are you going to live for me while I'm gone? Are you going to live for me with the power of the Holy Spirit in you when I'm gone? So here's what Jesus was trying to create. Jesus was trying to create a community on earth that looked like Jesus. 
That's how we started our church. That's how we started Hope Covenant Church back in 2000. We wanted to be a community that looked like Jesus. And not just a Christian community, but a community that looked like Jesus that would say, people at Hope Covenant Church say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple, and so whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to say yes. Well, it might cost you some money. I know that. It might cost you some relationships. I'm, I'm sure of that. It might put you in a hard place where you have to forgive your enemy, forgive somebody that hurt you, or forgive somebody that hurt somebody that you love. I understand that. But listen, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I say yes. Jesus said, I want to create a community that are defined by that unconditional, generous, uncompromising, ridiculous kind of love that he was talking about. That kind of love that forgives when somebody doesn't ask you to forgive them. I want to create a community that people on the outside would look in and say, you know what, at Hope Covenant Church, uh, you know, they're kind of weird, but they, at least they don't handle snakes, right? So, but they're kind of weird. They give ice cream, Jim, on, some, on Father's Day and things like that. And, and you know, they're kind of weird, but, but you know what? Um, uh, you should see you should see the way the husbands treat their wives. You should see the way that the wives respect their husbands. You should see the way that their kids are taught to love Jesus, and they do. You should see the way those people at Hope Covenant Church use their money. You should see how they use their education, how they use their training, how they use their gifts. You should see. And so you'll have people from the outside kind of peeking into our church and other churches and saying, you know what, I don't know if I want to be one of them, but I want one of them to marry my daughter. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be one of those people, but I want that person to work for me because I know they're generous and they're fair and they're honest and in some way, somehow, they're showing that they love each other and they don't only love each other, but they love me. And I'm not even part of them. See what manner the love of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Jesus said, I want to create a community that is so filled with love, so love-enriched, so love-powered that people look in and say, you know, again, I don't know if I want to be one of those Christ people, but man, there's something about them that I just want and I need and I want to embrace. Look how generous they are. Look how they handle persecution. Look how they love. It, it, listen, if we just get one thing right today in this message, one thing, it's this. Love one another. I, I wish you, I could tell you it was more complicated and more theologically rich, but when you look at the New Testament over and over and over and over again, Jesus said one mark of a disciple is the same thing. How do you love each other and how do you love the world? Now go and do that. Go and do it. Don't talk about it. Don't get hung up on doctrine. Go and do it. So imagine your family. Imagine your family living like disciples for three months. What would that look like? Mom and dad who have been fighting a lot, uh, maybe show uncommon love and respect for each other. Oh, they still have some interior stuff going on in their hearts and they don't quite know what, but they're going to just act because they're a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus says this, love your husband or love your wife, respect your husband. Just do it. Sometimes you don't feel like it. You don't have to feel like it. Just do it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yes. I know I don't feel like it, but yes. Politics. 
We're coming into a political year. Worst time of the year for any church. Because half of us are Republicans, half of us are Democrats. Half of us think the other half are full of baloney. You know, so, so, but here's, here's what I want you to say as we come to this year of election. Politics is the kingdom of man. Pay attention to it. Do your civic duty. All of that. But never forget, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you talk to somebody that believes differently than you, you talk to them with respect. And you talk to them with love. You say, well, I've never seen it quite that way. I respect that. I, I feel a little bit differently. But I, because number one, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not number one, you're a Republican or Democrat. Number one, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. The distinguishing characteristic of your life in every question you're asked and everything you're asked to do is how can I love someone else? See, it's not how loud you pray or how long you pray. It's not how long you preach. It's not how many hours you read the Bible. But it's love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. So here's my challenge as we close. To my dear followers of Jesus, and I know so many of you and know your hearts around this. Let's stop calling ourselves Christians and start calling ourselves disciples. And I want you to think of what that means this week. For one week, I want you to act like a disciple. Yeah, but my husband's a butthead. I know that. Act like a disciple anyway. Yeah, but my kids are off the rails. I know that. But you love them so powerfully and so long and so hard that they look at you in a different way. Yeah, but you don't know my boss. You love him and you respect him in such a way that he'll say, what is going on with you? You love as a disciple would love as Jesus loved you. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Much better than being a Christian, but it's also much harder than being a Christian. Look at how they love one another. That's my challenge to you this week. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, this is probably one of the hardest uh, sermons I could preach. Uh, it sounds right, you know. Jesus said, love each other in the same way I've loved you, but when we think about what that really means, wow, that is so hard. Here's my prayer for every one of my friends that are Christ followers in this room. Try it for one week. Try it with your brother, your sister, your parents, your children, your husband, your wife, your boss, your colleague, your racquetball partner, uh, your schoolmate. Try it with every single person you, you love them as Christ has loved you and see what happens. Why? Very simply. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. The highest calling that a man or a woman could ever have in this universe. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.